Listen, folks, we are already in the middle of it. From the Russian side, you know, if their husband or brother or, or, or father comes back in a, you know, in a body bag uh, and killed by American weapons, it's already, con you know, Russia already sees America as being behind every, you know, behind this war. So in a sense, they're already fighting America. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name's Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of being your host for today, as well as serving as the Executive Director of Life and Messiah International. If you'd like to learn more about the work that God is doing through our staff around the globe, visit us on the web at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, I am excited to be here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for an LCJE conference. And for regular listeners of the Tove podcast, uh, you know we've conducted uh, several different interviews at an LCJE conference before. But you may not remember what LCJE stands for. LCJE stands for the Lausanne Consultation on Jewish Evangelism. Since I'm here with my colleague, Jim Melnick, uh, we both thought it'd be a good idea to sit down and to do an update on the Russian and Ukraine conflict, which, believe it or not, has just passed one year. Jim Melnick uh, was once a Soviet affairs analyst with the Pentagon, and we've enjoyed having him as a guest on the podcast many a time now. Jim, welcome back to the Tove Podcast. Thanks, Levi. It's great to be here. Um, it's good to be together in person, and it's my understanding that you've just returned from Romania. Uh, can you tell us what that trip entailed and um, any update from there? Yes, thanks, Levi. So uh, some of you have heard our, our previous podcasts on uh, helping Ukraine and, and being involved with uh, some of the uh, support to refugees that we've done in, in, in updates in the past. And so this trip was uh, a trip I'd made with my sister and brother-in-law. Uh, he's, he's a pastor in western Pennsylvania, has a number of contacts, uh, long-standing contacts in, in Romania. And so the trip was uh, twofold, really, to reestablish those relationships uh, post-COVID, mm -hmm. and then um, really to see what we could do to uh, help in the situation with some of the Ukrainian refugees and to sort of assess the situation. So, uh, you know, we got a really good sense, I think, of what's happening in that respect, uh, you know, at least as far as Romania is concerned. Yeah. So Ukrainian refugees are probably fleeing to multiple countries and Romania is a major destination or is it just... Uh um, I don't know the count. I mean, it, it, Poland by far has taken in most of the refugees and um, but Romania is is one of the countries that's taken in a number. And uh, at this point, so we were working with and meeting with, um, you know, churches, NGOs, uh, various mm -hmm. organizations, people that are involved. And so I was just sort of lay out, I guess, you know, that that dynamic. What we saw were uh, families who some have, have made the decision to to start a new life in Romania. And others are in the complete other side of the spectrum. I mean, they're hopeful every day that the war will end, hmm. and they're just hungering to go back to Ukraine. Um, 
many have gone back already, and you know, especially in Western Ukraine, which is safer, relatively speaking, than than uh, than the East. And so you'll see sort of this immigrant experience uh, from one end of, uh, end of the spectrum, really, to the other, of people making these life-changing decisions: uh, should they stay? Should they go back? Can they go back temporarily? Uh, we were with one family where, um, you know, most men, um, certainly military-age men, cannot leave Ukraine still, but there are many different types of waivers and exceptions and special passes and, and this sort of thing. So in this case, we were, uh, you know, visited with a family of believers um, where, um, you know, they had uh, two young children, one a baby, one a, a, a toddler, uh, and the husband had like a two-week pass from um his work in Kiev or ministry in Kiev, whatever. And he was able to come and just spend two weeks with his family in Romania. Mm. And, and so that was a sweet time that we had, but, uh, you know, obviously bittersweet as well for them because, you know, he was getting ready to go back. Um, the main thing I, I'd really like to talk about, I think is, is the caregivers. I think that's the main story I'd like to share with your listeners. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by caregivers? We have um, in in Romania and Poland and, and certainly Slovakia um, and other countries where you know the refugees are coming in. People have just the believers in the churches and and, and like the NGOs as well, are, have just been pouring themselves out this past year. And I think most Americans need to understand that you know most of our debate and discussion here uh, in the United States is about. Well, how much money are we spending, and is it accountable or not? And you know, how long is this war going to go on? And and those are all valid questions. You know, I don't diminish those at all. But the reality of how it's affecting millions of people's lives on a day-to-day basis, the trauma they're going through, the the need for counseling, the need for you know everything you can imagine in terms of of, of people recovering and, and dealing with war, yeah. uh, is is a day-to-day reality that the churches and, and other believers are facing, you know, in these uh, countries bordering Ukraine and within Ukraine itself, of course. And I think, you know, they're, they're going to approach burnout. I mean, you can see it's coming. There are people that are just pouring themselves in day after day after day. And we need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to be praying for them and praying. Maybe there, maybe there are ministries here in the United States, elsewhere in Europe, that could be planning for how do we how do we take some of these people in that have been caring and, mm. you know, and just going to burn out and help them get, uh, you know, reinvigorated and encouraged, get, re, uh, you know, get more resources, whatever, and then, um, you know, send, send them back if they want. I mean, I really feel, you know, I, I look at the um, I look at missionary work and, and the life of the church really is, you know, we're, we're, we're soldiers. We're yeah. soldiers in an army. And when we have wounded, you know, instead of casting them aside, People have been on the front lines, you know, in, in, in missions, for example. They need to be tended. They need yeah. to be cared for. And then if the Lord calls them back to the mission field, or in this case, you know, to, the, to helping those uh, in, in this war effort, um, you know, that's something the whole church needs to be involved in. Yeah, absolutely. So there's our first prayer point, are these caregivers who are pouring themselves out, and, you know, everybody has a limit. <laughs> right. I want to speak um, in one case of a, of a man named uh, Tomas. Um, he is um, in his 40s, but he's, he's just a, you know, a strong believer and a, just a terrific guy. Um, he had traveled that night from Ukraine, from uh, deep in Ukraine, to come and meet with us uh, in central Romania. Mm. Um, tra- must have traveled you know, all night because we had a morning meeting. 
he is uh, he has set up a school for Ukrainian refugee children, as well as Ukrainian orphans. And he has a mixed uh, group of both believers and unbelievers that are serving as the teachers there. And he's just thrown this together, hmm. you know, and it's like, boom, here you are, all these kids. There was a, a busload of Ukrainian orphans that almost got trafficked. Wow. It was horrible. And, uh, but they were rescued. They're part of the school. And then they're mixed in with um, just regular, uh, you know, refugee kids that have parents, you know, there. And he's, Tomas is trying to run this. He's trying to go back and forth and run and help another orphanage or, or hospital, whatever, in Ukraine. I mean, he's, he's burning the candle at both ends. So yeah. there's an example of, of what I'm saying in, in terms of, uh, um, you know, he, I mean, he's in his 40s. He's still got a lot, of, a, a lot of daily energy, of course, and that's great. But you can see this can't be sustained over time. Now, now, Jim, I know that you've had a chance to go uh, to the border of Ukraine and so forth and deliver much-needed supplies, to love on people, to give them hugs, and even to share the gospel while you were there. Uh, who's going into Ukraine at this point to minister? Is that happening? Yes, um, and that's part of what we, we experienced in Romania, was um, a meeting with some of these um, uh, guys who do the transports. Mm. Uh, we almost had an opportunity uh, a couple of times to, to be a part of one of those, and it just didn't work out because the timing, the timing has to be just right. And, of course, the primary thing is getting supplies in. Uh, and so, you know, uh, in this case, it didn't work, in for, work for us to go. But the guys who are doing it are doing it on, on a regular basis. They are completely dedicated to this. Um, I think of one man uh, named Bob. He's, a, he's, Brit- he's British. He's in his 80s. Um, it's a, <laughs> He consider the rest of us sort of as almost like little kids. I mean, he's he's been around a long time, and uh, he's he's a, uh, a truck driver, former truck driver, de- completely dedicated to getting supplies into uh, these orphanages and hospitals in Ukraine. So uh, he's that's one side of things. And then you have other guys who are who are younger, um, and just you know go in as often as they can. But this is the lifeline. It's clearly this is the lifeline. Of um, of support coming from uh, again Christian organizations and churches, uh, you know, in in Romania and of course in Poland and Slovakia and elsewhere. Um, the the main thing is that they need our prayers, they need our encouragement. Um, they're going to do what they do, you know, regardless. But you know, we need to we need to be identifying with them and to be uh, lifting them up. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go to a break here, Jim. Uh, if folks have heard you on the Tove podcast before, they're very much aware that you serve full-time with Life and Messiah International. And um, you've made a lot of connections um, in Eastern Europe, uh, in Poland, in Ukraine. And what we've set up is a Ukraine fund at Life and Messiah. And, and many believers have generously given to that fund. Um, tell us so far, with, with those funds given, where have they gone and if folks want to contribute uh, toward future work, uh, getting supplies into Ukraine to the Messianic community, to, to believers, uh, how can they do that? Well, thanks, Levi. Yes. So funds have gone to uh, both individuals and to organizations in Ukraine. Um, we've helped, you know, our primary emphasis is helping Jewish believers because that's our niche, but also, you know, just refugees and situations that come up. Sure. So um, everything from... Uh, you know, a believer who is a Jewish believer in Kharkov, which has been in, at, the, at the center of a lot of fighting, not so much recently. And, and the Russians failed to take Kharkov. They tried very hard. 
Um, and, you know, he's been very faithful, you know, all these months in getting, you know, we'll send him money and he's able to get food to, to uh, families in need and uh, many of them Messianic Jewish, you know, believers as well. But uh, that's, that's one place we send uh, support through another ministry that is working very closely with uh, missionaries on the ground in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they've been very, very thankful. Now, in one case, um, we have a, a sister Jewish mission that, you know, the, the missionary there, um, you know, we, uh, I shared actually at the conference here a couple days ago. This is back in, this is in Odessa, where uh, he led a whole room full of, of, of Ukrainian uh, people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, in the sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just incredible. And, and, you know, things like that are happening. It's, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful thing. God's, you know, God's moving even in the midst of all of the, uh, the terrible things happening in this war. So, you know, where the, where the need arises, we're trying to, to plug those holes uh, as we're able and, um, and to work with other ministries and missions, you know, that are, that are there on the ground as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you feel prompted to give, if, if whether it's a dollar or whether it's more than that, uh, to contribute toward the believing community who is going through tremendous difficulties uh, in Ukraine, and some are now obviously in Romania and Poland and the surrounding nations. All you have to do is go to lifeandmessiah.org, click on that donate button, and then in the comment section, type in Ukraine Fund. And we'll make sure that those resources are sent to help people in the midst of this very difficult situation. We're going to take a quick break, Jim. When we come back, I want your thoughts on the state of this war and where it could be heading. Right. We'll be right back on the Tove Podcast. Since 1887, Life and Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes their spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us at lifeandmessiah.org. That's lifeandmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We are here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at an LCJE event where uh, a plethora of Jewish ministries from around the globe gather to network, to discuss, to present ideas, and to pray for the salvation of the Jewish people around the globe. It's really a wonderful network. And I am sitting down with my colleague, Jim Melnick. Jim worked for many years as a Soviet analyst in the Pentagon. Jim, we're mentioning the supplies that are needed for Ukraine. And right now, a lot of that is falling to NGOs. A lot of it is falling to ministries, uh, taking things into Ukraine uh, on their own dime, at the risk of their lives oftentimes, and with great investment of energy and resources. Why isn't the United States or some other country in the West flying in these supplies for people who need it? I mean, we should be flying in plane loads of stuff to these folks. Yes. But we're not. It's, it's left to these NGOs. What's going on? Well, it's, it's, it's very frustrating because I think, um, just as you said, we should be doing something, in my opinion, like, like we did uh, during, during the uh, very, you know, crucial days of the Berlin uh, situation where we had the Berlin airlift. And we flew in plane load after, there's so many planes that we sent into West Berlin. And again, it was a tense moment. 
But the United States and NATO, everybody decided, you know, we're going to, well, it was, it was, we decided at that point that we we're going to stand with Berlin. And uh, there were so many plane loads coming in one after the other that there were a few plane crashes, actually. Mm. They, it was, that's how intense the support was for, for Berlin. And I see the situation today with Ukraine as, as uh, being, uh, you know, very similar. And that's something we could do and should do, I think, as the West, is to, um, is to have a massive support of uh, infrastructure and uh, all of the, you know, needs that, that, that the civilian population has. And I think we could, you know, in the, in the current strategic environment, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it would make any difference, really, in terms of, of increasing um, you know, the, uh, the tension in the war. I mean, the tension's already there. A lot of Americans, I think, don't really understand. They think, well, you know, we're going to, if we do more, you know, we, we'll, we'll be in World War III. Listen, folks, we are already in the middle of it. I mean, we are in the middle of not a hot war, but the fact is the fact that we are supplying Ukraine with the weapons. Yeah. From the Russian side, you know, if their husband or brother or, or, or father comes back in a, you know, in a body bag, uh, and killed by American weapons, it's already, con- you know, Russia already sees America as being behind every, you know, behind this war. So in a sense, they're already fighting America. And, you know, it's not that we don't want that, and we, we don't want that to continue. We want to see this war brought to a close yes. uh, while supporting Ukraine uh, uh, into victory. And I think that's going to require us just standing up and, and, and showing, having the courage and leadership, um, you know, to do that. And And I would add, you know, there are many things I, I certainly don't support uh, President Biden in, but I will give him great credit, most things, but I would give him great credit for the courage that he showed in, in going into Ukraine and standing with Zelensky uh, in Kiev. For those of us who may not be as politically astute as someone like you, what kind of message does that send for a president to go stand next to another president for a photo op and to show support? What, what kind of message does that send to Putin? I think that was enormously a powerful message. And, um, you can see that, at, at, at least at the present time, now I'm not saying it's, it's going to, to last, but there, haven't, there hasn't been the barrage of missiles on um, you know, Ukrainian cities that was occurring before. Right. Now, there is still intense fighting going on around, like, for example, right now, the city of Bakhmut uh, you know, is, is uh, under attack, and, and you know, no one knows which way that's going to go. But Russia hasn't had any, any big victories. And they're in a quagmire. They're they're throwing everything they have at this situation. Uh, they were supposed, they, you know, there was concern that uh, they were going to have a huge offensive, you know, right around uh, uh, the twenty fourth, the, the one year anniversary. That has e- that has petered out. It hasn't come to anything. Uh, again, other than this fighting around around the one city, but you know, I think I think Putin is uh, unsure what to do. I think, and I think Biden's visit sent a powerful message for them to, for him to not, to reassess what the next step should be. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, if we, we could build on that. We should build on that. We have, there's momentum right now to do more. And um, again, the, the final decision, I think, has to rest with uh, President Zelensky and the Ukrainians as to, you know, if they would be willing to, to, to stop the war, let's say they stop the war right now. That has to be their decision. It, mm. In other words, I mean, if, Put, if Putin were to stop, yeah. then the, would the Ukrainians stop as well? And that has to be the Ukrainians' decision. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, we, we are at a moment where we need to show leadership and courage. And I think that could be the deciding factor. For those of us who may not have studied 
uh, war and so forth. Is it a good idea? And does Ukraine even have the capability to strike Russia? So if I'm Ukraine, right, I, I was just invaded. Right. And, and my people are being killed. My cities have been completely demolished. So much harm and suffering has been caused. Why doesn't Ukraine launch back into Russian territory? Is it because they don't have the ability or is it because it's just not smart because Russia has nuclear weapons? What's going on there? Well, I happened to actually be at the Pentagon at the time that um, Ukraine made the decision to give up its nuclear weapons. Mm. And uh, that was part of what I think was called the Minsk Agreement uh, or whatever. And it was decided that, um, you know, the West would stand with Ukraine and, uh, you know, we would honor their decision and sort of, you know, they were not taken to NATO, but there was sort of an implicit understanding that, you know, if Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons, that, that the West would, would honor that and, well, you know, what, stand with them. What does that mean, honor and stand with? <laughs> well, That's very yeah, vague. Exactly. I, mean. I know. That's where we're at now because they were never taken into NATO. Um, they may still become part of NATO, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think the implicit understanding of that early agreement is what, was what you see playing out now because it's sort of, it's, it's, it's not been formalized in the same way that, you know, Article, say Article, Article 5, 5 of the NATO yeah. treaty would be. Um, but in terms of your other question, like why haven't the Ukrainians struck back? I think there, there are two things at work. One, um, and again, this is from open reporting, you know, it, it seems that, you know, there's certain probably certain strings attached to some of the weaponry that we uh, have been giving Ukraine to say not, you know, that it, this cannot be used against Russia, you know, in Russian territory itself. Um, now, why would we do that? Well, because, you know, our leadership doesn't want to escalate the war directly against Russia, Russian territory, um, because that would, that might by itself, you know, trigger more. Um, the other thing, though, is I think you know, Ukraine is probably um, preparing for, and again, this is again just my my supposition, but I, Ukraine is probably preparing for a worst case scenario, being let let us say that Putin decided to use a tactical nuclear weapon. There's not much as much talk of that now as there there has been, you know, during this past year. Uh, personally, I think there's there are many reasons why he would not do it. But there were a lot of people who thought he would never, you know, attack Ukraine. So, you know, we can't rule it out. Um, but I would think that there is enough um, infiltration of Russia by, by Ukrainian um, saboteurs, whatever, whatever you want to call them, that they may, you know, there, there are occasional things that you hear in the news, like this factory blew up yeah. or something happened here or a fire over there. And of course, we don't know all the reasons behind that. But I think that, that that's sort of the tipping point, that if, um, if Russia should, should launch a tactical nuclear weapon or a biological weapon or something like that, and even blame it on the Ukrainians. I mean, they're already saying that in the news even, like, oh, the, the uh, Ukrainians might have a, launch their own chemical or biological attack against their own people and then blame it on Russia. Uh -huh. You know, it's the level of duplicity and, and it's just unbelievable. But... Um, but I think that is the tipping point, because if that should happen in Ukraine, then all then then sort of there's no there are no holds barred at that point. Ukraine could then start really attacking, you know, uh, sites in Russia. Uh, and and they, they wouldn't be able to do that. They'd have to be doing that through special forces and, you know, 
um, that sort of thing, not not uh, not offensively attacking Russia with with tanks or anything. I don't think that's going to happen. But the idea is just to get Russia to stop. Yeah. Just stop attacking us. Yeah. You know, um, that any person would do that, you know, I mean, that's the very basis of self-defense. If if somebody attacks you and you fight back in self-defense, well, then when they stop hitting you, you know, you're supposed to stop. You don't, you know, punch them to death. You're like, OK, you know, I was defending myself and now uh, you've stopped defending me. And, and I think that's the situation we have in Ukraine. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Jim, our time has come to a conclusion. Thank you so much for uh, blessing us with your presence here on the Tove podcast yet again. Thanks, Levi. It's great to be here, and let's all pray for an early end to this war. Um, and and I, I do want to say something on the Russian side. You know, there are terrible casualties on the Russian side, and we pray for uh, Russia as well, that God will bring uh, revival to the churches, that God will you know, take the scales off the eyes of those who believe all of this propaganda against against Ukraine and the rest of the West. We we want to see this war end, but we need Russia needs to repent, really, of what it's done. And there are a lot of people that don't understand that. Um, and, but there have been tremendous casualties. So many Russians are, uh, soldiers are dying um, as cannon fodder, and they don't even know why they're there. You know, they're taking home. I mean, Putin's taking homeless guys off the street, prisoners out of prisons, and, and, and you know, shooting them, uh, taking them to the front. And if they don't go forward. You know, many get shot. I mean, yeah. we have all kinds of, uh, uh, there's video evidence of many different things going on that are terrible. But we need to pray for Russia as well as Ukraine. Right. And uh, pray that God will bring uh, spiritual revival even in the midst of all of these, these terrible events. That's right. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Levi. The Tove Podcast is a ministry of Life and Messiah International. You can listen to all of our previous podcasts by visiting lifeandmessiah.org and clicking on the Tove Podcast tab at the top of the page. In addition, if you enjoy Jim's teachings, which I certainly do, you can find several teachings from Jim on the relaunched Life and Messiah YouTube channel, where Jim brings us the concept of Jewish blessing through the lens of the Bible. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.